0: back to another episode of real talk bible part of the edmo show so tonight well, today as it's sunny outside hold up let me get my i'm just rushing i'm all over the place please forgive me i am just all over the place yeah so today we are going to get into chapter 13 uh, of exodus and hold on as i'm trying to get all my all my stuff situated I understand why I click start but that's okay that's okay like I said we're gonna build it as we fly so all right so there we go let's go ahead and there we go we got it all right so, today we're going to go over chapters uh, 13 and 14 of Exodus. Uh, if you guys uh, don't remember, uh, last episode, Moses and Pharaoh kind of got into it. Uh, God, you know, God killed all the firstborns of Egypt. Let me see, I don't understand why my mic is jumping in and out. but um, So, God uh, slaughtered all the firstborns of Egypt uh, as a result of pharaoh in egypt slaughtering the firstborns of of the israelites but um but before we get into that so um i've been doing a lot of brainstorming on what more value i could bring to the show um i understand how sometimes uh doing the bible series can get a little bit monotonous so i'm going to try to switch things up a bit um of course you know i'm friends with alfonso rachel and speaking of which if you guys would like to get any sort of additional or different biblical perspectives. Uh, if you like what I'm doing. Please visit my friend Alfonso Rachel. He was on YouTube. Um, some of his work is still on YouTube. But he you can definitely check him out. On Bronze Serpent Media. You can get yourself one of these nice little. Uh, Zopium Den mugs. Um, that That's the name of his biblical. Uh, series that he does. Is Zopium Den. Um, you guys can also visit my friend. Ray Delanuez on Becoming Men. He also runs a pretty good Christian-based men's podcast, uh, so please check them out, but um, uh, yeah, so I've been doing a lot of thinking, this is before we get into the chapter, I've been doing a lot of thinking, um, I want to get into more stuff, I want to explore more thoughts instead of just reading the Bible verbatim, um, even though I, I learn a lot from it, uh, this is the first time that I'm actually reading through it uh, page by page, chapter by chapter, Chapter. I'm learning a lot of things. I'm getting new perspective on things, because as I said, you know, it, it you can go to church your whole life and you can probably never uh, hear the entire book of the book of the Bible. So, if you guys want to follow along, uh, I am. You can use whatever Bible you want, and because I like collecting Bibles, because I've uh, developed in I want to say a healthy addiction to the Word of God. I, this is the Bible that I'm using the Messianic uh, Jewish Family Bible. There's no difference between... Uh, there's not too much of a difference between this and the King James. Uh, it just has more Hebrew context to it. Uh, let, me see, let me make room. Sorry. I also have... This is probably my oldest Bible I have. Um, I also got a pocket Bible that my mom gave me, but it's only the New Testament. This is the TNIV... Um, parallels Bible the message remix um I haven't read this Bible in like uh, the t- today's new international version so that's this one I haven't I haven't read this one in in oh probably 10 years um but yeah that's the oldest Bible I have I also have this one um, this is a more Greek heavy Bible uh you know uh, this is the Saint Benedict's Press Uh, The doi remes version. So this, I believe, leans more to the Catholic side of, or the, the Greek Orthodox. Yeah. Diligently compares the Hebrew, Greek, and other editions in diverse languages. So you also got this one. But for those of my friends who are of the craft, I also have, boom, my Masonic family Bible, which this is King James. There's no... Difference. I know you'll see some people on on social media talking about, oh, there's some secrets in there. The Masons have their own Bible. It's King James. <laughs> there's there's nothing else. The only thing that it has is maybe it'll have um, a couple pages where um, where you can see like they talk about King Solomon's Temple and all this other stuff. It'll point to you up to a lot of Masonic passages in it. So. There's no real difference. Oh, and before I forget, how can I forget about Dennis Prager? We're using his book, uh, Exodus God, Slavery, and Freedom, to help us, uh, will help me kind of understand what is going on. So, yeah, it doesn't matter what Bible you use, as long as you read it, as long as you get one, trust me, I like collecting them. Um, I, you know, I'm trying to, I know I set a goal for myself and want to learn Hebrew. And, uh, I want to learn more Greek and stuff like that. So that way I can actually read it for myself. Um, you know, of course I use the internet to help me whenever there's a translation or whenever I have a question, but, um, but back to what I was saying before I got into caught up in the Bibles. Um, I plan on doing some more stuff with the Bible series. I plan on doing, uh, exploring more ideas. One of the ideas that I have and I've written down is exploring the idea of biblical marriage. And the, um, because, and the reason why I started going down that road is because, you know, my wife and I, we, we always talk about how can we better ourselves, not just professionally, not just personally, but marriage, uh, maritally, how can we improve ourselves, um, in our marriage in a, in a, in a God observing way so you know her she went to catholic school i was baptized catholic as a child i grew up in baptist churches but i never read the bible my wife probably has a more of a biblical understanding going to catholic school growing up than i do there's some things that she kind of teaches me on there's some things that i kind of give her a different perspective on my wife has ordered i can't believe i didn't bring these books out here but she actually has her own women's bible she has her own um which I can't find, but it's hers, so I'm not going to grab it. Um, but she also has her own study Bibles or study um, study books for the Bible. I recently purchased um, some notes, uh, f- uh, some little laminated note uh, folders for um, the Bible and stuff like that. But one of, um, but yeah, biblical marriage, biblical weddings, specifically biblical weddings, is what spark this idea because i'm trying to do more i'm trying to explore more and one of the and i'll just give you guys a quick uh little insight so one of the things that um you know as i said my wife and i we were talking about how we can better ourselves how we can form a better union how we can have a better relationship with god in our marriage um and i just had the idea i was bored one night and i was like you know what Let, why don't i I want to see if, if there's anything on biblical weddings, like what does a biblical wedding look like? and so I, I watched a whole bunch of videos, and one of the things that I came to, just from watching everyone and kind of culminating my thoughts with all the different um, presenters that i was I was watching and researchers, the Bible is about marriage. Now you can get other things at it. But the Bible talks about marriage from beginning to end. Uh, They refer to Yeshua or Jesus. For those of you who are more in the Christian persuasion, um, they talk to Jesus as being the bridegroom. I know uh, Dan Brown's Da Vinci Code, they talked about, oh, Jesus was married. Jesus was never married. And the reason why that was is Jesus was never married to Mary Magdalene, as some people like to say or some people like to speculate Um, they, it's convoluted, but Jesus was never married because Jesus was already married to the church. Jesus was already, his bride is the church, so to speak. Even though church is a Greek word, which means a gathering, he, Jesus's marriage was to the people who follow him and the people who take up his word. And that is supposed to symbolize the marriage. But in some aspect, it's supposed to be God and the followers, God and the followers, Be and Jesus is supposed to act. It's kind of weird how everything kind of intertwines, even though, you know, Yeshua is God and vice versa, but he's an attribute of God, but all these other things. But um, I'm going to explore those ideas. Uh, I'm going to start that series. I've already started collecting notes. I've already started writing down scripture passages. Um but also, I'm going to start a series on another series, and I'll probably pop in, in and out of them. But I'll start another series on um, the biblical or paganism in the Bible and, and the biblical or the religious, the false religions that have been brought up today. Because I was actually reading something um I stumbled across this this uh, uh uh image and they talked about um you know it, it was going over the 10 commandments and stuff like that about graven images and all sort of stuff. I didn't even know that the star of David was actually a pagan symbol, the cross is a pagan symbol, all these other things. So I'm going to explore those ideas. I know I'm going to piss some people off, but you know, it, th- these are just things and I'm I'm going to use the Bible to support everything that I'm saying. So I'm not going to just be one of those speculators who are going to connect images with images. No, I'm going to use what the Bible says to support my arguments. So I'm going to be working on that. I'm not sure when I'm going to be finished with it, but just know those things are coming. I'm going to be working on a handful of things. So let's get into it as, you know, I've kind of run a little bit too long, but I kind of want to give you guys an idea on what I'm working on as far as the Bible series I'm also debating on possibly separating it from the MO show. Don't know yet. I'm, I'm working on it. it it's, I got so many ideas and not enough time to do them all. So let's go ahead and get in to this. I don't understand why this is like that. Okay, let me see. Let me see if I do this again. I don't understand why it's on this page. So let's try this again. Screen share. Okay. Uh, I don't like that. Let me do this. Okay, there we go. All right. So as I understand why I didn't change, ignore that. It was supposed to be. Chapter uh, thirteen through I left it as eleven and twelve. Don't worry about it. So, chapter thirteen, redemption of the firstborn. Adonai I spoke to Moses, saying, uh, "Consecrate to me all the firstborn from every womb of B'nai Israel, both men and animals. This is mine." Now remember, I've been I've been getting into some debates on the shade room on. Other platforms about the whole Texas abortion bill. I've had several women, strangely women with kids, as as I've already talked about. But I've had women with children try to talk to me about, well, my body, my choice, yada, yada, yada. And I've had to go back and forth. And then these women will and men will say, well, that's between her and God. And I'm like, well, if that's between her and God. And she's accepting God. Then I hate to say, but she going to hell. Not to be facetious, not to be mean, but it's funny how people try to throw around religious stuff as like a get off my back. It's a defense mechanism. Oh, that's between me and God. God is my maker. Well, God has already told you what he's going to say. And right here it says, and this is just Exodus. Adonai spoke to Moses saying, consecrate to me all the firstborn in every womb. Womb. That means these children aren't born yet. Womb. Both men and animals. This is mine. So that child in your womb does not belong to you if you are a God fearing woman. And there are some Christian women who get abortions. I hate to say it. I know a couple of them. It's unfortunate and I hope they've repented and I hope they pray for, for forgiveness. But these women, the child belongs to to God. And then there's other passages and we'll get to them when we get to them. But we're going to continue. Moses said to the people, "Remember this day on which came out, on which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of bondage. For by a strong hand, Adonai brought you out of this place. No chametz may be eaten, meaning leavened bread. This day in this month of Aviv, you are to you are going out when uh, when Adonai brings you into the land of the Canaanites." The Hittites and the Amorites, uh, the Hivites and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you a land flowing with milk and honey. You are to observe this service during this month for seven days. You are to eat matzah, meaning unleavened bread. Uh, And the seventh day is to be a feast to Adonai. Matzah is to be eaten throughout the seven days. And no chametz, meaning leaven bread, is to be seen among you, nor within your borders. You are to tell your sons on that day, say it is uh, it is because of, Adon- of what Adonai did when I came out of Egypt. So it will be like a sign to your hand to remember between your eyes so that the Torah of Adonai may be may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand, Adonai brought you out of Egypt. You are to keep this ordinance as a moed from year to year. Now, I'm going to sit here and let me look up moed. So, moed means festival. So, you are to keep this ordinance as a festival from year to year. Now, when Adonai brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your fathers and gives it to you, I mean, gives it you, okay, you are to set apart to Adonai every firstborn from the womb and every firstborn male. So, this means every firstborn, whether it's male or female because then we have every firstborn male animal you ha- you have will be adonized every firstborn donkey you are to uh redeem with a lamb and i think the lamb that they're talking about is yeshua but we'll keep going and if you do not redeem it then you are to break its neck you are to redeem every Firstborn among your sons, and I think that phrase of break its neck actually refers back. And I could be wrong. I'm just spitting out my idea right now. I believe that this whole redeem, uh, break its neck refers back to when um they talked about putting um putting uh between Eve's Eve seed. And the seed of the serpent. Remember, he was going to step on the the seed of Eve or the seed of Adam was going to step on the serpent's neck. So I think that's why, where that comes from. I'm just speculating. I'm pretty sure there's some biblical expert that's probably going to uh, correct me. So when your son asks you in times to come, what is this? Say to him. Crap, let me put on my do not disturb. Sorry. Um. Uh, What does this say to him? By a strong hand, Adonai brought us out from Egypt, the house of bondage. And when Pharaoh refused to let us go, Adonai slew all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both men and animals. So I sacrifice to Adonai all firstborn males, but I redeem the firstborn of my sons. So it will be like a sign on your hand and like frontlets between your eyes." Um. For by a strong hand, Adonai brought us out of Egypt. So. So. You are supposed to sacrifice, which I think goes. Harkens back to Abraham and Isaac. Because remember, uh, Abraham was going to sacrifice his firstborn son. Well, his first son with Sarah. So. I think that's supposed to bring us back to that point because remember, even though God told Abraham to sacrifice, God also stopped him and provided a sacrifice. So that is how uh, Isaac was redeemed because he was supposed to be sacrificed and then he was redeemed later. Uh, excuse me, let me scoot up. Uh, all right, so Parashat Beshelak, which means uh, when, he let, when he let go. After Pharaoh had let the people go, God did not not lead them along the road to the land of the Philistines, although that was nearby. For God said the people might change their mind if they see war and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by a way of the wilderness to the Sea of Reeds, and B'nai Israel went up out of the land of Egypt armed. So they left with weapons. Moses also took the bones of Joseph with him. For he made B'nai Israel swear an oath, saying, God will surely remember you, and then you are to carry my bones away with you. So they journeyed from Succoth to the encamped in Etham. And uh, on the edge of the wilderness, Adonai went before them in a pillar of cloud by day to lead the way, and a pillar by fire by night— to leave, uh, to give them light, so they would travel both day and night. The pillar of cloud uh, by day and the pillar by fire by night never departed from the people. And there is a um, there is a documentary, I believe, is the search for Mount Sinai, and they actually found the the beaches where they believe the Israelites crossed over into what is now, I believe Saudi Arabia. And they said on the Saudi Arabian side, there is a, there is a beach and they, they found, uh, like Egyptian, uh, chariots, bones, like human bones, horse bones, axles, all this other stuff from that look Egyptian. Um, but they've also found um, melted glass. They found sand that has been melted into glass on the beaches on the on both sides, mainly on the Saudi Arabian side. So, if you guys want to check that out, I think it's like the search for Mount Sinai or something like that. It's a really good documentary, I believe. I saw it on Hulu. Um, just uh, check it out, it, or it's either on Hulu or Amazon Prime. So please check it out if you know. Uh, and these were guys, I believe, that were just go, using the Bible to find where the, the real Mount Sinai is. So, moving on. The Sea of Reeds showdown. Aaron and I spoke to Moses saying, speak to B'nai Israel so that they return back and encamp before uh, Paharoth? Okay. Between Migdal and the sea. You are to camp by the sea, opposite of Baal Zephon. Uh, Pharaoh will say concerning B'nai Israel, "They are wandering aimlessly in the land. The wilderness has shut them in." I will harden Pharaoh's heart, so he will follow after them. Then I will be glorified over Pharaoh, along with all his army, and with Egyptians will and the Egyptians will know that I am Adonai. So they did so when the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his servants had changed, had a change of heart toward the people. And they said, what is this we have done that we let Israel go from serving us? So he prepared his chariot and took his people with him. He took 600 of his finest chariots along with all the chariots of Egypt and captains over them. Adonai hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So and and I like how they did that Pharaoh king of Egypt like because remember Pharaoh was supposed to be a God man on earth but they put king so it's kind of like a jab in the face like he's not a real God so he pursued B'nai Israel for B'nai Israel went out with a high hand but but the Egyptians pursued them with all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh as well as his charioteers. And his armies, and overtook them as they were encamped by the sea uh, beside Paharoth, opposite of Baal Ziphon. When Pharaoh drew near, B'nai Yisrael lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them. So they were terrified, and B'nai Yisrael cried out to Adonai. They said to Moses, uh, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness because there were no graves in Egypt? Why have you dealt this way with us to bring us out of Egypt? Did we not say to the to uh, say to you in Egypt, "Let us alone, so that we may serve the Egyptians"? It it was better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. But Moses said to the people. Don't be afraid, stand still and see the salvation of Adonai, which he will perform for you today. You have seen the Egyptians today, but you will never see them again, ever. Adonai will fight for you while you hold your peace. Then Adonai said to Moses, why are you crying to me? Tell B'nai Israel to go forward, lift up your staff, stretch out, uh, stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. Then B'nai Yisrael will go into the midst of the sea on dry ground. Then I behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians and they will go in after them so that I will be glorified over Pharaoh and all his army, his chariot and his horsemen. Then the Egyptians will know that I am Adonai when I have been glorified over Pharaoh his chariots and his horsemen. Then the angel of God who went before the camp of Israel moved and, uh, and went behind them. Also the pillar of cloud moved from in front and stood behind them. And so came between the camp of Egypt and the camp of Israel. There was the cloud and the darkness over the, uh, over here. Okay. Yet it gave light by night over there neither one came near the other all night long when moses stretched out his hands over the sea adonai drove the sea back with a strong east wind throughout the night uh, throughout the night and turned the sea into dry land so that right there kind of tells us what happens moses stretched out his hands as he was commanded it wasn't like like you see in the movies where or on tv Moses walks into the water, he takes a staff and jams it down into the ground like Gandalf and says, you shall not pass. And the the water's just split and you got a wall of water on both sides. No, it says it right here. It says that with a strong east wind throughout the night and turned the sea into dry land and the waters were divided. So this happened overnight. Then B'nai Yisrael went into the midst of the sea on dry ground while the waters were like walls to them on their right and on their left. Uh, But the Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariot and his horsemen. Now it came uh, came about during the morning, uh, the morning watch that Adonai looked at the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and clouds and caused the army of the Egyptians to panic. He took off their chariot wheels and caused them to drive heavily so that the Egyptians says, get away from the presence of Israel for Adonai fights for them and against the Egyptians. Then Adonai said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters come back upon the Egyptians over their chariots and their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hands over the water and the sea returned to its strength and uh, at the break of dawn. The Egyptians were fleeing from it, but Adonai uh, overthrew them in the midst of the sea. The water returned and covered the chariots, the horses, the entire army of Pharaoh that went after them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But B'nai Israel walked on on dry land in the midst of the sea, and the waters were like a wall to them. And I think that's where people get that whole idea, like this big giant wall of water and stuff. Cause I know in the Prince of Egypt movie, they kind of made it look like that. And you got whales swimming and all the lightning storms and it's craziness. But um I digress. So uh where was I? Uh waters returned to cover the chariots. Meneez are walked on the dry land. So Adonai saved Israel that day out um out of the land out of the hand of the Egyptians and Israel saw the Egyptians dead in the seashore. When Israel saw the great work that Adonai did over the Egyptians, the people feared Adonai and they believed in Adonai and in his servant Moses. So that is chapters 13 and 14. Um, probably could have put a little bit more in there, but, um, let me see. Because I had some notes from Dennis. All right, so let's see what Dennis has to say. Because I've already highlighted this stuff. All right, so let me get a sip of coffee. So uh, Dennis writes. Chapter 13, verse 2, Consecrate me, the firstborn man and beast. The first issue of every womb among the Israelites is mine. He writes, Originally, before the Levites and a subgroup within the Levites, the priest, the Kohanim, who carried out all the rituals involving animal sacrifices, were designated for temple service. Firstborns of all the tribes were, consecrate, were consecrated uh, to work. Uh, To working for God A son who was his mother's first child Was supposed to be dedicated to God's service And to perform the religious rites Subsequently assigned to the priest In remembrance of the recognition uh, of this earlier tradition That firstborn children were consecrated uh, To working for God A later Torah law designates that uh, Thirty-one days after the child is born, the father can pay a priest five sil- silver shekels. Uh, uh, numbers eighteen sixteen to redeem the child from temple work. The ceremony of redeeming the firstborn is still practiced among observant Jews. It is known in the Hebrews as pidyon haben redemption of the firstborn son today fathers give the priest five silver dollars uh indicating it was never in uh uh indicating it was never intended to be a large sum of money and therefore a burden for poor people yeah so let me see if i can find uh shekel cuz i think shekels was silver uh let me see so, it says right here, shekel, a basic monetary unit of modern Israel equal to 100, ag- uh, okay, agorot, a silver coin, and a unit of weight used in ancient Israel. So, money, wealth, yada, yada, yada. So, let me see, Merriam-Webster, uh, let's see, shekel. Any of various ancient units of weight, especially a Hebrew unit, equal to about 252 grains troy. A unit of value based on a shekel weight of gold or silver. A coin weighing one shekel. Let me see. Yeah, Because I know they do troy ounces. All right. This is. Jewish So, a shekel is a biblical term referring to a unit of weight used for currency and is named and is the name of Israel's modern currency. The shekel, as a unit of currency, is known as as early as the second millennium BCE when it is recorded in the Bible that Abraham negotiated the purchase of a field and a cave um, that was therein at Machpelah. In Hebron, the Torah records Abraham saying, "I give, I give thee money for the field. Take it for, take it for me. I will bury my dead there." Ephron, the landowner, replied, uh, "The land is worth oh, crap. Freaking ads, uh, is worth four hundred shekels of silver. All right, uh, and Abraham weighed the uh, weighed to Ephron four hundred shekels of silver, uh, current money." with merchants, uh, Genesis 23, 13, 15 through 17. In 1969, the government of Israel voted to change the name of the country's currency from the, the Israel era or lira to the shekel on January 1st, 1986. The new Israel shekel, the NIS, replaced uh, the old shekel. Today, the new Israel shekel consists of a 100 agorot, Okay, I guess that's another form of currency and has coinage denominations of 10 agarot, uh, one half shekel, 50 agarot, one shekel, two shekelim, five shekelim, and 10 shekelim. A shekel banknote is issued in denominations. So maybe I'm asking the wrong question. So they pretty much just told me shekel to today's money. Oh, okay. So the current shekel. One Israel new shekel equals to 31 cents in, in U.S. dollars. So, if he's paying five shekels. All right, so five point thirty-one. Come on now. All right, I think I did that wrong. <gasps> Shut up. Sorry, that's the studio mutt. All right, so that's about a dollar. That doesn't seem right. A dollar and 51 cents. Okay, whatever. Yeah, so apparently this is not supposed to be a lot of money. Uh. All right, so... Uh. Verse 13.3, Noah said to the people, remember this day on which you went free from Egypt. Uh, So Dennis writes, and he has a pretty lengthy, uh, because I highlighted a lot. The Torah refers again and again to the importance of remembering the Exodus. The previously noted see commentary on Exodus 10, verse 2, memory perpetuates gratitude. No memory, no gratitude. It perpetuates faith. No memory, no faith. And it perpetuates the Jewish people. No national memory, no nation. But there may be a fourth reason, which is to relate to the second one: faith. Exodus, a time when God intervened forcefully and unequivocally on the on the on behalf of the entire Jewish people, or on the behalf of any national entity, for that matter, uh, may have been a unique moment in history. Clearly. There have been many times since the Exodus when Jews wish God had intervened on their behalf as he did in Egypt, but that was not to be. Therefore, for the sake of keeping alive, trusting God, it has been critical to recall the Exodus and for every Jew throughout the generations to identify with the Exodus as if he or she actually experienced it. As is written in the Passover Cedar Service, in every generation, a person is obligated to see himself as if he himself has come out of Egypt. Something powerful can happen when people assemble uh, to express gratitude for something that happened—not to them or to other, uh, or to their parents or grandparents or great grandparents, but to ancestors who lived thousands of years earlier. By maintaining and expressing their gratitude, Jews have kept their faith and national identity alive. If people are only uh, grateful when something good happens to them, they may never be grateful or will be grateful only for the briefest of times. Alternatively, they will be grateful only if such good is done to them repeatedly as Epitomized by the question long associated with ingrates, "Why? What have you done for me lately?" In some Jews are commanded to remember the dec- uh, remember and celebrate the Exodus, both as a statement of their faith in order to maintain their faith. Uh, okay. And then the next verse, when he talks about you are free on this day, remember the month of Abib. Um, he says, Abib, A-B-I-B, is the Hebrew word for spring. In modern Hebrew, it is pronounced Aviv, A-V-I-V. The Jewish calendar is a lunar calendar, and therefore a year has 354 days, not 365, as does the solar calendar. The Hebrew lunar calendar is therefore ad- adjusted uh by adding a leap month 7 years out of every 19 as opposed to the leap day every 4 years on the solar calendar otherwise passover would fall 11 days earlier each year and within a few years passover would become a winter holiday then uh, a fall one and then a summer one and cease being a spring holiday as the Torah directed it to be The Muslim calendar is also a lunar calendar, but it, but since there is no specification as to season in which holidays must fall, the holiday of Ramadan, for example, falls in different seasons over the course of years. All right. So, uh, let me see. Trying to. All right, so let's go into 14. All right. Um, so he has a quick essay right here on uh, chapter 14, verse 4, that I may gain glory through Pharaoh and all his host. When God inflicts the exact, uh, and he titles this, God is glorified when he is perceived as just. When God inflicts or exact just revenge, which is really just another term for punishment on evildoers such as Pharaoh, his name is glorified. In other words, God gains glory by rewarding good and punishing evil. This can be shown by answering this question. What is it that causes many thinking and decent people not to believe in God, let alone glorify him? The answer is the amount of injustice in the world. That is that being the case when God deals with injustice He is most likely to be universally affirmed as and glorified. Justice is indeed God's glory, thus a centrality of abolishing evil, punishing those who commit it, and of course, doing good in the Torah. Ironically, however, this is also a major reason many people reject the Torah and God. Many people are uncomfortable with being morally judged and especially uncomfortable with a God who judged them i.e. a God who might punish them. That is why, for example, surveys indicate far more people reject the concept of hell, an afterlife punishment, than the concept of heaven, an afterlife reward. God hates evil and instructs us to do likewise. You who love God must hate evil. Psalms 97 verse 10. Then we humans too can be glorified. Yeah, and, and that's that's a... Definitely an interesting one Um, because people always like to speculate that if you are Bible observing, you have to be, you cannot hate anything. You cannot have strong feelings or um, any sort of strong or unpopular opinions about anything. And the Bible actually directs us to actually hate evil. And today, what I see a lot of Christians is they make excuses for evil. They, they. of course, we are to love our enemies. However, that doesn't mean, that does not mean that when you love your enemy, you are excusing them. And all too often, modern day people, modern day Christians and Bible believers alike are all too excusable when it comes to evildoers you know it, it's it's like you can't even have righteous anger anymore it's you can't even like one thing that I actually like and this is what I loved about history especially in the military they made us read uh, gates of Fire which is about the Spartan 300 and their war with uh with Xerxes and one of the chapters that I really loved uh, was leading up to the war, it's like all the generals involved in the war would meet up and they would all conversate, but then they would all pretty much crack jokes at each other, insult each other in a respectful way. And one thing that I really liked about ancient times is that even though you went to war, you had a respect for the person that you're warring with because everybody has their reasons. Now, to me, that is definitely a more noble cause. Like, yeah, we can, we can fight. We can hash it out. We can slaughter each other. But at the end of the day, I, I will have respect for you. Perfect example would be Troy with Brad Pitt. And I forgot the actor's name who played uh, Hector. After Achilles killed Hector and um, King Priam came and kissed the feet of, of the man, Achilles, who killed his son and dragged his body throughout all of Troy. Um Priam told um uh Achilles, you know, cuz Achilles said in the they're trying to uh negotiate, you know, him getting Hector's body back. So Achilles told Priam uh you'll be my enemy in the morning. And he actually gave Priam a lot of respect. Let me let me close this out. But he actually gave Priam a lot of respect and Priam says, you're still my enemy tonight, but even enemies can have respect. And when right before uh, Achilles gave Hector's body to his father, he was weeping over him. And he said, I will see you in the afterlife, my brother. Like even that, that is a respectful thing to do. But today we just seem to be lacking in that respect department. So this is what I really want to get to. Is it worth dying free? This is his essay. This was the main thing that I wanted to get into. Verse 14, uh, chapter 14, verse 12. Is it not, uh, is this not the very thing we have told you in Egypt saying, let us be and we will serve the Egyptians for it is better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Uh, Dennis writes, the Israelites claim that they would rather return to slavery than the comfort, uh, than confront the Egyptians in battle. This, to be fair, is understandable. Most people would rather be enslaved than dead. Most, but not all. One of the most famous statements in the American War of Independence was that the American patriot, uh, Patrick Henry, give me liberty or give me death. Henry's attitude is the antithesis, I don't know why I couldn't say that word, of what the Israelites are saying here. Um, Help make the founding of America possible as well as the liberation of Europe and the independence of South Korea and many other free countries. But it is hardly a universal sentiment. During the Cold War between the Democratic uh, West and the Soviet Union, there were, of course, many in the West who said, better dead than red, communist. But many others subscribed to the slogan associated with the with the Betra- with Betra Russell, the 20th century leading atheist philosopher, better read than dead. Russell's slogan was consistent with that much, with that of much of the well-educated class in Britain. On February 8, 1933, right after Hitler came into power in Germany, Oxford Union debating a society held a debate on the resolution: "This House Will in No Circumstances Fight." For its king and country. The resolution passed 20, uh, 275 to uh, 153. The vote made the impression on Hitler. And Mussolini. As it revealed that many many of England's best educated. Would prefer to live under Nazism and fascism. Than to fight for freedom and risk death. The Israelite statement made it clear to Moses uh, they so valued life, they would be willing to return to everything they endured in captivity, even the Egyptians seeking to murder all of uh, all of their newborn males in order to avoid doing battle with the Egyptians. And to me, that is probably the mo- the highlight of of Exodus. I don't know if you guys remember, but uh, didn't, uh, uh, Zoe and I we talked about that. I see that today in America where, especially right now, especially right now, you have people, I would rather get the shot, I would rather take the vaccine, I'd rather do this than remain in the house. I would rather do this than fight for my freedom, especially when they started shutting down all the airports and international travel and this and that, there were so many people way Willing to take the shot or wear the mask or do this and that, so that way they can get back to some sort, some form of normalcy. People are far too willing to concede than to fight. And now, what you're seeing is you're seeing a lot of people fighting back. You're seeing a lot of institutions fighting back. I didn't know that In and Out was actually a Christian-owned company. In and Out is fighting back. In and Out says, no, we're we're not going to force our people to get vaccines, even though they're forcing their people to ma- to mask up. But you pick your battles. But that is, and and I hear it all the time when I have conversations with people, especially about uh, what's going on right now. My mother and I got into a debate about it. Um, I told her, like, I would rather, I I would rather fight back tooth and nail than to bend on my principles and my morals to accept an injection that I don't know what it's going to do long term. And that I know uses uh, aborted fetal cells and tissue and where I have a possibility of getting sick. My mother was like, well, it's supposed to prevent you from getting sick. Well, Colin Powell just died and he was fully vaccinated from complications from COVID. Maryland, uh, 40% of Maryland's dead uh, deaths from COVID recently, 40% of those were fully vaccinated. And it's when I gave, when I give people that information, they don't want to hear it. They would rather subject themselves, possibly injure themselves in order to have some form of normalcy from the powers that be than to fight for their own freedom. You know, and, and this is, I'm not going to make this a, a left or right issue. This is a freedom issue, you know, the, We see this in the, and and that's why I like the Bible so much because when I grew up, they tried to make the Bible seem so religious, but they didn't make it seem palatable and human. I don't remember them ever tackling. It was like, you got to give your life over to God. If you want to, if you want to prosper in your life, if you want to do this, if you want to do that, you got to give it to God. It was a lot of prosperity worship, but it wasn't a lot of reality like worship. It wasn't like, you're going to go through hard times. You're going to struggle. You're going to suffer. But in the end, you'll be redeemed. In the end, I'm not saying today, I'm not saying tomorrow, I'm not saying in this life, you will be redeemed as long as you live by the word of God. People, they would rather tell you, you can get a big house, nice car, lots of money. If you give your life over to God and you give the church 10% of your of your earnings, get out of here. But... One thing that I've never, I never, 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 in my experience, and I, I'm not saying that there's not, I know um, Dr. Uh, Vodi Bachum he talks about it. The Israelites were all too eager to go back to slavery because they could not handle uncomfortable freedom. That's what America is going through right now. You have so many Americans so willing to... Accept socialism and accept communism and fascism, actual fascism. Everything that the president is doing right now is fascism. You had Antifa like going hard on the right and Trump for giving freedom back, for giving choice back, saying he was a fascist for that because he's not doing something for a certain group or a certain people of or a certain persuasion. They were attacking him for that calling him a fascist but now you actually have a true fascist in office in power a man who claims to be of this book a man who claims to be a catholic even though everything the catholics do is does not line up with this but this man claims to be a a person of god to the point where the that the church had the, the the church um that he goes to Denied him the Eucharist because he said he was for abortion, even though I just read the womb belongs to the firstborn in the womb belongs to God. That don't belong. You cannot abort that. You cannot stop that. You cannot kill that. We have a president who does not care. They will say anything about anything to get what they want. And you they want you to give up your freedom, your ability to take care of yourself. Your ability to defend yourself. They're trying to do away with guns. They're trying to get access into your bank accounts. Whether If you spend over $600, they want to be able to see it. They want to use the IRS to go after you. You, People are all too willing to go back to slavery. They're too willing to experience food shortages. They're too willing to experience this socialism. You got videos of Bernie Sanders saying bread lines are a good thing. That people are standing in line for bread. You have Pete Booty Gig uh, hal- halting um, freight ships from from coming into America. You from giving goods and supplies that companies and people have paid for. You got the speaker, well, whatever this woman's name is. Uh, 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 what is, what is it? Pippi Longstock the little redhead. You got her in here saying, oh, well, it's a good thing that we have people with this such high demand. Yeah, we got a demand because it's not coming in. You can't build back better if you're halting the product. You cannot do that. So you have these people, this 38 percent who is still saying that this president is doing a really good job. You that 38 percent that is so willing to go back to slavery or to be taken taken care of by the government. Even when Trump was in office, when they were giving out those stimulus checks, when they were giving out these COVID checks, you had so many people ready and willing to accept these checks, then to go to work. You had so many people just willing to live off the public dole to be a slave to the state because the state, because once you get on the slave, once you get, once you depend on the state, the state is now your master as we see now. If you look at it logically, and I, I'm sorry if I'm making this political, but I think this is so appropriate. When the government tells you, when the government pays you to do nothing, tells you uh, how to live, tells you what to do with your healthcare, you are now a slave to the state. And they set it up so that way, if you refuse, you'll be fired. And then if you're fired, they're making it harder for you to find another job because a lot of these companies are the, the administration is attacking the companies with 100 employees or more through OSHA. So they're mandating that the shot become, so even if you get fired, you'll now be poor. And if you, if you end up poor, you end up losing your house, you end up losing your apartment, you end up losing everything that you've acquired through all your hard work and effort, and then you'll be on the public dole. This is soft slavery. This is a soft initiation into slavery, and people don't see it because they haven't felt it yet. They don't know what's coming. So now let's just say worst case scenario, worst case scenario, the government doesn't bend. These companies don't bend. The government starts putting press on all these companies with 100 employees or more and the banks make it a lot harder for people to get loans to start businesses and start companies. We already know goods and goods and products are being uh, stalled at the border. I mean, at the at the the the, um, the freight yards and stuff like that. You know, that's going to affect trucking. That's going to you already have uh, railroad workers who are talking about they they're striking. So you're not going to have goods moving. So you're going to have to depend on the on the truckers. Fuel prices are sky high. So that's going to affect the truckers. So they're making a lose lose situation for everybody. So now this is creating more poverty. And when they create more poverty, you're going to be on the public dole And the government now, because now the government owns you and the government pays for you, just like in, in Europe. They can tell you what to do. They're going to force you to do what you don't want to do. Just saying. They're so worried about January 6th. They're so worried about Donald Trump. Got you so worried about the wrong things that you don't even see what's going on with your own freedoms. And again, this ain't about Republicans and Democrats. This is about freedom right now. This is about this book right now. This is about chapter 14. People so willing to go back to slavery because they can get fish. Because they can get services They'd rather be tortured than die They'd rather they rather be a slave than fight back Just saying But again that's what happens When your country loses its way We are no longer a Judeo-Christian We are a religious country still America's a very religious country But the religion that we have is Is not this The religion of America now Hates this They hate the the Judeo Christian values they hate the Judeo Christian worldview the Judeo Christian principles and they uplift the Islamic now no shade I have I have friends who are who are who are Muslims really stand up guys very humble very like I'm proud to, to be friends with them but they don't understand that the Muslims aren't as accommodating as Christians are. You go you you pull this mess over in a Muslim nation, you will get killed. They're they're they live by theological law. Just saying. You know. <sighs> but um Yeah, so that, that's it for today. Um I you know, I hope you guys are getting a lot out of this. I know I am. Um, but again, I, I really want you guys to really tune in really buy a bible i don't care if what you guys do buy get yourself a bible and start reading i don't care if you go to church i don't care if you tithe i don't care if you all if you do anything i don't care if you don't go to church i don't care what you do get this book now you know it doesn't have to be this one but get a bible please Something that has both the Old Testament and the New Testament. And the reason why I say that is the New Testament echoes the Old Testament. If you guys have been following me, you will realize that everything that happens in the Bible is constantly repeated over and over again, even in the same paragraph. Get a Bible, please read. I'm telling you, religious religion and spirituality aside, I believe the Bible is the manual to life. Sorry, it is a manual to life. You uh, you have again. I started I started reading it because for philosophical reasons. I wanted to. I, I'm really into philosophy, you know, and I I started reading it for morals, ethics, and philosophy, and just being open minded. My world, my whole life, changed my relationship with other people have changed and beginning to change my relationship with my wife has changed. So I'm just saying, get yourself a Bible, do that, read it, start it, read it just like you would read any other book and ask questions. Um, because there, there's a verse in Matthew, I think it's Matthew 18, where Jesus talks when the uh, disciples of Jesus are asking who's the greatest among them or who's the greatest of all in, in heaven. And, Jesus or Yeshua pulls a child over and said, This is, you need to be like this child because what do children do? They are open, they are willing, they are, they ask questions. They want to learn. You have to be like that in order to be the greatest among them to go to heaven. So, honestly, if read it, ask questions. Ask questions. And I'm telling you, When you ask questions, you open yourself up, things may change. I'm not saying you got to go to church every day. Every Sunday, you got to go to Bible study. You got to go to midnight mass, all this other stuff. You got to go to Easter special or Easter prayer or whatever. I'm not saying to just get it. Just get the book and read. So, Bernie, what do you got for us? I am once again asking for your financial support. Thank you, Bernie. We are asking for you guys' financial support. So if you guys want to help us out, please, please, please. We got PayPal. You can donate however much you want. Or you can go to our friends over at uh, Wilder Tactical. Use the Edmo Show 21 code or Edmo 21 code to get yourselves a nice little discount at checkout. And if you are down to your last bottom crusty dollar, please save it. You guys can just give us five stars, a like, and please share the content. Please like the content wherever you get your podcast. Um, yeah. And until then, I will see you guys later. Peace out. <laughs>